Hey, I'm so thankful that you chose to download and listen to this podcast. I've been so blessed, and as I'm coming closer to 7,000 downloads so far, I'm able to provide them free of charge, but today I want to ask you for a favor if you can. The way I reach people is by ranking in the search results on Google and on Apple iTunes, and if you can give me a rating, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, uh, and if you'd like to give me a rating or a review, I'll be so so thankful and uh, it would help me reach a broader audience and with that said i want to thank you again and enjoy this message god bless second timothy chapter 2 verse 1 says this you then my child so this is apostle paul writing to timothy right be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as, I, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." That saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endured with him, or if we endured rather, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Say amen to that. For he cannot deny himself. Would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your presence in this place, and I ask you right now, God, the Holy Spirit, Lord, might come and change and transform our hearts, Lord. You said where there, your word is preached that you'll not come, that this word will not come back empty, but it will do the very thing it was intended to do. And Father, I pray that you open up our hearts and you speak, Father God, your word into our hearts, Lord God, and that you change and transform us from inside out. Lord, I pray, God, that we get an understanding of who you are. And Father, that we walk with you daily and get to know you and become more and more like you every single day. Lord, we trust you. We put everything we have in your hands. May Jesus pray to everyone said, Amen. Do you ever have a friend that exaggerates things? If you don't know someone, you most likely are the person who exaggerates a lot. Like um, my friend, I'm not not, not say who, who they are, he ran out of words. He's like, you know, like it's a bajillion, gazillion, trillion. And I'm like, that's not even a thing. Because he ran out of like adjectives to describe. That's what happens when you exaggerate, right? It's also called embellishment or lying. If you exaggerate things that are not true, that's lying. I remember one time we were at the ocean shores. Actually, it was, uh, it was seaside. And we were sitting by by a campfire, and we went to like a Instagram meet. Remember those? Um, 
And uh, this girl sat right next to me. She's like, yeah, this is cool, man. And I'm like, yeah, great. She looks at me and she goes, so uh, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a youth pastor. And she's like, oh, you're like a good person, yeah? And I, like, this is exactly our conversation. I was like, I mean, depends on your definition of good, I guess. Um, she's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm in marketing and I sell this thing called Kiani. And uh, it's good for like headaches and um, it cures like a lot of like diseases, like it cures cancer. Um, it cures like broken bones. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, you can't be serious. Like, but at the same time, I'm like, but she's really into it. And I'm like, that's some exaggeration right there. That's a lot of exaggeration. Listen, no juice ever. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I'm not a doctor, so don't just listen to me as a pastor. I'm not a doctor. But when you make those claims that this juice will cure cancer, we, we would need to have some studies there, right? So you've had that before. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to your walk with the Lord, you have one or, or the other extremes. Those people who came and just started to follow Jesus, they're in that honeymoon stage of following Jesus, and everything is perfect. You've met those people, right? You ask them, so how's this new faith? Oh, this is great. Everything's perfect. It's amazing. It's awesome. Jesus is, is right here. He, he, he can never disappoint me. One time I was talking to a lady, and I'm like, so how's your, your ministry? And she looks at me, and she goes, it's amazing. She literally paused like that. And I was like, I've been part of a lot of ministries and churches, and um, nothing is ever amazing. <laughs> like, there's cracks. There's problems. There's things that don't work. There's, there's a lot of things that, when you describe things like everything is just amazing, right? <laughs> no. Like, there's, there's things behind the scenes you probably have not done this long enough to know that there's problems. Until these same people get into a relationship and they get, you know, the, the, the other person breaks up with them. And then you ask them, so how's this faith going? And they're on the complete opposite. Man, Jesus, you know, I follow Jesus because he's going to like take care of me and stuff. And like the moment I start following Jesus, it seems like everything starts to go wrong after a couple months. Yeah. Because now you became a target of the enemy. But it seems like when I talk to Christians, they're in one of those extremes. Either Christianity is just so amazing, the greatest thing ever, which it is, right? But when you only highlight the good things, you're not being honest, right? On the other hand, is you know, how, how's the prayer meeting? Bro, I felt it. it was, God's presence was just there. And you're like, I was part of the same prayer meeting. Didn't feel any of that. And of course, a lot has to do with, okay, were you expecting for God to move, right? Like, but a lot of times we tend to exaggerate. You know, people on Instagram, this is the greatest service ever. Like a thousand people got healed. And you're like, I'm pretty sure it was five. <laughs> like I was there in the front, right? And then you have the opposite where Christianity is just, bro, it's my parents, it's boring. It's a religion and it's, it's one of those extremes. And, and my question to you tonight is, which one do you think Christianity is? And if you're saying Christianity is this, you're lying. And if you're saying Christianity is this, you're also lying. Because Christianity is all of those combined. 
there's there's moment in walking after Jesus that it will be just this amazing, you know, uh, triumph in your life. Joy that you've never experienced before. You're like, man, I, I love people. I, I don't know where that came from. I couldn't stand people. I had road rage. So there's moments of, of you know, amazing triumph. But there's also defeats. There's, there's mountaintops and then there's valleys. There's moments where everything seems to be this amazing euphoria in following Jesus. You are, are making a difference and you know the eternity is real. So your life doesn't end with death. And, and there's so many things to celebrate. But then you have your, your valleys where you are so distraught at times. You're like, I'm a Christian. Like David, let's say, put your trust in God or my soul. Why am I going through this? What's this valley? I thought this is, this shouldn't be, people have turned their back on me. My family thinks I'm part of a cult, <laughs> right? Like, uh, actually, this is a true story. Like the first two years of being in, at City on the Hill, my family thought I was part of a cult. <laughs> so I come home and they're like, I was the subject of the conversation, you know? And then, uh, you know, after a couple of years, they kind of realize, okay, well, he's actually kind of serious about this. <laughs> so we have to live with it now. <laughs> The reason I'm telling you this is, is this Christianity that a lot of times we've been sold, everything will be perfect. It's not true. Jesus himself said that in this life you will have troubles. But rest assured, because I overcame the world, you will be able to overcome the world too. Right? In those moments where you feel extremely distraught and you're going through a, a loneliness season of you don't know, do I even have any friends? And the enemy is is sort of telling you that you, you're, you're not amounting up to anything. You're, your life is pointless. In those moments, you have to cling on to Christ. And in the moments of complete, amazing experiences that you have during worship or during a community, in those moments, you have to also give that, that glory to Christ. Right? And this is where Apostle Paul finds himself. He's in the place of going from being the elite of his day, being the guy who had the money, power, influence, the guy who everyone looked up to him to his in intelligence and wit, right? He went from that to being in prison. And he's writing all these letters. He's writing these books to the churches. And he's telling the church of uh, Ephesus, like, rejoice. And you're like, Paul, what are you talking about? You went, went from persecuting Christians to being persecuted. You went from being the, from the high places to being in prison with rats in, in water and in, 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 in the cold. And 2 Timothy is kind of like one of his, his last books, right? I think it's the last book that he writes to Timothy. And he gives a lot of really good advice. And he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusted to faithful men. And he says, look, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus. When you are going through a really hard time, know that it's not just you who are walking alone. I've also preached this through other faithful men that, that haven't kind of backed down on following Jesus who will be able to teach, teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. 
share as a good soldier. When we think of a modern-day church, we come to church and, you know, those seats are pretty comfortable. I, I'd, I'd say they're comfortable. It's air-conditioned. We have coffee, right? Uh, it, it's a comfortable place to be. You might be socially uncomfortable, but for the most part, you're extremely comfortable. And, and Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, that's not what you're called to. You're called to be like a soldier, Soldiers, at times, they go without food. They, at times, they go through, through being completely wet for days on. Right? It says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlists him. So Apostle Paul gives Timothy advice and says, look, don't get entangled in the things of the world. But remember, just like a good, good soldier is doing things for the cause of who enlisted them. So who enlisted uh, Apostle Paul and Timothy? It was God who enlisted you and them. So you don't do things based on what people want to hear. You do it based on what God has called you to do. He has enlisted you. And as a soldier, you will be uncomfortable. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. If you, as a soldier, would go and, and, and start to like make your house in a small town and forget about the, 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 the mission that you're on, you would be disqualified. You would be given a dis, dishonorable discharge because you put your pursuits above that which you are enlisted to do. Your mission above that which you're enlisted to do. A lot of us talk about how, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're talking about how you want Jesus to help you becoming the greatest football star there is. Coming to Jesus is not following your dreams, is dying to your dreams and embracing His mission for your life. Now, of course, some of you might be football players. I hope so. Definitely not me, right? Some of you will work in, and be very successful but that's not your ultimate calling. Your ultimate calling is to be about the Lord's business. Those are just things that you function in society. That's your vocation. That's your work. That's how you interact with people. Right? So as a good you know, soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. So, aim is to, so his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And he goes on to kind of expand on this and says, as a good soldier, you have to be about God's mission, where, you know, the mission you're enlisted to do. But as an athlete, you have to do it in the right way. I know today, if you're an athlete, if you're a kid, right, you get a participation trophy. Apostle Paul doesn't talk to us about that. No, as an athlete, you got to play by the rules to finish well. If you don't play by the rules, you get disqualified. I think a lot of times when you are called to follow Jesus, you know, you're, you're like, man, I, I want to tell people about Jesus, so I'm going to like employ a lot of methods that are questionable as long as this brings a good, good return. For example, you might exaggerate your credentials. You lie about hey, where you went to school because you just want people to think that you're more influential than you are. Or you're, you're doing things like you're using your 
overbearing personality to get your way in church. You're the one who never be quiet at, at, at small group. You're the one who has to be in the center of everything. Right? God doesn't just care about the things that He called you to do and, and, and bring in results. God cares about every single step of the way. He cares about making sure. Think about this way. If an athlete decided, you know what? I'm supposed to run 12 miles, but if I run through here and I cut this corner or this corner, I, I cut it through here and nobody finds out about it, I'll get in front of other people. Well, if people would find out about it, he'd be disqualified. So if you're using you know, your, your overbearing personality, if you're lying, thinking that you're helping God, you're not helping God. If you are, are, you know, really interested in meeting girls, but you're pretending like, oh, I am just, you know, like the spiritual guy. And guys, you just look at me like I know how to read my Bible. But you know you're doing it because you're trying to get a girl. And, and what people can understand, right? Like, no, God sees that. Your relationship with that girl is not between you and her. It's also between God and you and her. God cares about every single word that we say. I mean, leader, our leaders know. I mean, like, they know our faults as pastors, right? Like, you can't try to get your way by using means that are not godly, right? And the last kind of, like, illustration he brings and says, a farmer, you know, and it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And the point there is that you have to really work hard but also you'll be able to share in, in, in this, you know, like Apostle Paul gives a different example. He says, those who teach and preach amongst you are worthy of double honor. Yes, you will be respected if you serve in the church. But as a good farmer, you have to work hard at it. You have to put everything that you have behind it. Right? Now, there's going to be certain benefits of following Christ. And there's going to be some certain responsibilities. Right? Verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So where it led Paul to follow the gospel, to follow God's plan for his life, it led him in chains as a criminal. He says, because I preached the gospel of God, he led me to be a criminal. Now we think that following Jesus is going to be all roses and, and dandies, right? Like it's going to be all great, but it's, it's not what he's saying here. He says, for the gospel that I preach, I'm in chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So here's, you see the contrast here, right? On one hand, it's like, this is really not the ideal situation. I follow Jesus because I wanted to have the greatest life of, the greatest life on this earth. And then I ended up as a criminal in chains. But guess what? The good news is this right here. But the word of God is not bound. So even from here, I can still glorify God. This, this book in itself, the impact that it had throughout history. So my point to you is this. You're going through a low valley right now. You're in what we would call Paul's prison. In those moments, 
you can be extremely influential. And those moments, you can serve one of the greatest calls of your life. I always mention this story of my, my um, aunt dying with cancer and how she was so faithful till the end. She never, you never hear any kind of, why was it me that I got this? She was always would say things like, you know what? I speak with the Lord. I pray to the Lord. And I pray that He would heal me. But even if He doesn't, I will glorify His name. So, but the Word of God is not bound. Even in His suffering as a, as a, as a criminal in chains, the Word of God cannot be bound. And that's our hope, right? Like, that, that no matter what happens to us, even in our distress, we are preaching the gospel. We read the last book. We know how this all ends, right? Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy for all. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure with him, we also, if we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So we are told that if we die with him, we also get to raise with him. But this is where I want to spend some of the time talking to you about. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Every single time you feel like God, you walked away from God and God is not, no longer listening to you, can I tell you that he's still faithful? He's still waiting for you to come home? Can I tell you that he still loves you? Even if you're faithless, he's still faithful. No matter what happens, you know, like it's, it's so crazy how I, we quote this a lot where we love because he loved us first. I don't love people because people, you know, love me back. Because if, if you only love people that love you back, it's a transaction. It's basically as long as you please me, I please you. And that's, that's all there is to it. No, we love people because we were loved by him. And his love toward, towards us is constant. So even if people don't like you, even if people talk bad about you, you have a constant love that comes from your father. You can have assurance. You can have a footing. You can have a foundation in that knowing that God loves you and he cares for you. Some of you guys know this example of me walking into my counselor's office around like 23 years old, I think he was. And I was like, man, I, I'm done with this whole Christian following Jesus talk. And my counselor, he's about, he, at, that, at that time, he was like a 72-year-old guy. And he looks at me, he says, Slavik, you know what? The Lord loves you, man. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I preach that. I know that. And he's like, you don't understand. If I told you that the president has got your back, you wouldn't care what somebody, some low-level staff member here in Washington would say, would you? And I'm like, well, yeah, because the president is powerful. He says, well, that's exactly it. The most powerful office in the universe loves you cares about you so you when you are scared understand that he protects you when you feel like people don't love you remember that he still loves you and i was like that's actually pretty good <laughs> and to, to know that god has got my back in the worst of times it's so reassuring Verse 14, 14, 
remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel, quarrel above words, which does, not, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best, and this is a charge to Timothy, right? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So he tells Timothy, hey, you have to do your best to present yourself to God as a good worker. You know why we spend decades working at our jobs where, you know, because uh, we want to get promoted a lot of times, because we want to get a paycheck. And sometimes we'll go to school for seven years just to get a job. Why? Because we want, when we go to that interview, to be approved as, as a good worker, that we have the experience, we have the knowledge, we have the personality that can f- fulfill that role. And, and Apostle Paul says, do your best, Timothy, prepare yourself that you would be, that you would be approved as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. What does that mean? That means that at the end of the day, when you come before someone, the, nobody can look at your life and say, well, he's not qualified there or there. He hasn't spent time researching this or you know, preparing for this. There's nothing to pick at you because you've done the work. You've done the work to, to be prepared. Verse 17, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the res- resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So here you have two guys that started well, but then they started to go in a lot of debating. And you know how like when you debate and you think you're smarter than the other person, the Bible says that the knowledge puffs up. And you're not, not walking in humility to hear the, the words of the Lord, but you just want to prove the other person wrong. We see a lot of time in the field of apologetics. If you, know, if you don't know what that is, is Christian using biology, science to defend the Christian faith. And for the most part, they do an amazing job. But there are people who they got so big in their understanding in, in, in the biology or, and they want to show people that they know all of this stuff and they're puffed up. And then they go into weird theologies and the weird understandings of the Bible. And Apostle Paul says, don't get in debates. I mean, we do this all the time, right? Like you sit down at, at a, uh, a table with someone at some kind of party and then two people start to argue about predestination. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, yo, we've been debating this for the last 1,500 years, and you guys think you're going to figure it out right, right now. I mean, this is, this is great. And you're like, what's predestination? <laughs> right? Like, um, there's certain mysteries of God that we will not understand this side of eternity. Trinity, for example, is one of them, right? Like, how is God three person in one? And every single example you can come up with, except the spidget spinner, spidget spinner, fidget spinner. That's the only one that I can, I'm like, okay, that's, that's actually pretty good, where you have three parts and you spin them. So you can't tell them apart, right? There's a lot of things that we don't understand about the mysteries of God. If we understood them, then God would be a God of your imagination. 
right? So we will not know this side of eternity. But they're so easy to start getting d- debates and then you, you no longer care about walking with the Lord. You no longer care about doing what God has called you, but you care about just proving others wrong. We see that with politics. We see that, in, and you engage in this fruitless constantly debacle of debating one another and proving others wrong and showing them off and so on. Apostle Paul says, don't don't give into that. Don't give into this crazy debate sort of thing because it doesn't really bring a lot of food back. And, And here's what he does encourage Timothy. He says, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone whose name, the name of the Lord depart from iniquity so you know you should do instead to depart from evil to look and examine your life and say where am i not walking with christ where am i what area of my life i do not give him full permission because of that i'm walking in defeat that's time well spent instead of picking other people's problems like, for example, I know Zach's problems very, really well. Where he, where he at? Um, he is my roommate. And, like, I know a lot of his problems, just like he knows my problems. Right? And we were so easy to tell other people about their problems. But every single time you go to the Lord, you'll realize one thing. The Lord brings you to the light and shows you who you are. And convicts you of your sin. And you come to the Lord complaining about people and the Lord looks at you and says, how about you, Slavic? How about your temper? How about your anger? How about the way you do things? Right? So you'd be be better if you spend your time departing from iniquity. Verse 20. And this is where it gets really good, right? Now in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for dishonorable uses, some, I'm sorry, some for honorable uses and some for dishonorable uses. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master's house, ready for every good work. So we're given a picture here of, of a master having a house. Obviously, the master here is who? Jesus, right? And we, as individual members in this house we are like a vessel for example this is a cup i'm pretty sure somewhere in there we have a garbage can right we have a toilet two of them i think who knows yeah we we have two toilets i think right all of these things are designed to do a function for example i drink out of this and unless you're a dog you don't drink out of the toilet Right, Because that one is used for dishonorable uses. This one is used for honorable uses. Your mom has a, you know, that fine china right? Like where you never take it out except on special occasions. And if you're really Slavic, then you have the plastic plates that are with gold and utensils that are still plastic, but they're like nicer. And only on special occasions you have those. And you guys are looking at me like me uh, like, right now, like my family is the only one who does it. I know your family does it too. <laughs> Right? Every single utensil, every single you know, vessel that we have in the house is used for a specific purpose. And if it's a garbage can, we don't use it for, for water. And if it's a cup, we don't use it to put garbage in it unless we're done using it as a cup to drink out of it. 
And Apostle Paul looks at this as a, as a illustration. And he says, in the house of God, there are people, there are vessels who are used for honor and some people who are used for dishonor. Let me ask you this. Judas, was he used for honor or dishonor? It's not a trick question. He's like, it must be a trick question. No, I'd say Judas was used for dishonor. You know what the Bible says about Judas? That it would have been better if he wasn't born. Committed suicide. Let me ask you this. Peter, was used for honor or dishonor? Obviously honor. Because he was the one who who was a father of the church, who inspired so many of us to go into ministry, to preach the gospel. Let me ask you this. John, was he for honorable use or for dishonorable use? It's not a trick question. It's honorable use. But all of these people are extremely flawed people. For example, you might think John wrote the, uh, you know, the, the um, book and the gospel of John that's all about love. If you guys ever, if you came to Christ some half a year ago or whatever, the first thing that you were probably told is to read through the gospel of John because it's all about God's love and God loves us. But you know that it was John who, when Jesus went to this, to this village and they didn't really accept him, John and James said, God, uh, Jesus, should we call fire from heaven to destroy these people? Like the loving John, the, you'd look and it's like, John is, John is so loving. Yeah, he just told Jesus, Jesus, should we pray that God would, would exterminate these people, would fry these people? I'm like, wow, that's a bold statement. And Jesus turns to John and says, and he rebukes him and says, you don't know what kind of spirit you are speaking from. I didn't come here to burn people. I didn't come here to destroy people. I came here to save people. Peter. Peter's the one who would always sort of speak first and then think second. Right? He always would just kind of step out in in faith what he thought it was faith. And one time he'd be like, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the great Messiah. And then literally a few verses later, you know, Jesus is talking about how the Messiah has to go to the cross. And Peter speaks to Jesus and says, oh, we got to talk about this. Um, no Messiah goes to the cross. So Peter is trying to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, back off Satan. Peter is the one who was so excited about ministry and how, you know, at the, at the dinner, when, when Jesus is talking about how Juan is going to betray him, he's kind of like almost you know, shredding his, his garments, thinking about how, Jesus, I'm going to go with you to the end. Even if all of these people are going to like fall away, I'm going to go with you. He was ready to go fight for Jesus. And then at the cross, he leaves Jesus. He denies him three times. Judas, same thing. He really, really failed. Imagine if you follow the greatest teacher that has ever lived. The greatest Messiah, because there's only one. Seeing the miracles that you saw. And in the end, 
he betrays Jesus. How did that happen? Well, we know, John tells us, that Judas would actually steal from the purse. Judas was in charge of keeping the money for all the 12 disciples. And he would help himself. And there's a story where, you know, this, this woman comes and looks at Jesus and breaks a very expensive perfume over Jesus' head. And, and you know, some, some of the apostles say that it was the apostles saying, well, they could have used that for giving to the poor. They could have sold that and given to the poor, but this lady broke the perfume over Jesus. But John tells us it was Judas who said that. Judas looked at that and said, oh, what a waste. This lady is breaking perfume over Jesus' head when this perfume is worth about a year's uh, wages, meaning that if you make $60,000 a year, she spent that much in her time to break this perfume over Jesus' head. And Judas is having a problem with this because he knows that he can't steal more money. If, if she would have sold that and the money came into the purse, he could have stole more money. So all of these three people, all of them were flawed human beings. But we see their end. One of them was used for extreme dishonor, betrayed the Son of God. One of them left Jesus at the cross. And John, still, we don't see as much failure in John's life, but when you tell a whole city or a whole village that you want them to burn, you know, <laughs> Jesus called, called them the, son, the sons of thunder. And I'm not sure if it's because of this or not, but, but what, what was the determining factor? Well, we don't have to worry because we're told here, in verse 21 says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be used or he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. So if you're a vessel in the house of God, we are told if you cleanse yourself, if you're constantly allowed the blood of Jesus to wash you, you are going to be used for honor. If you are allowing filth into your cup, if you are, imagine if I came up to Paul, because you kind of spoke up. If, uh, let me see, bro. If I came up to you with a garbage can filled with garbage, and then there's this much water at the bottom, I'm like, you want some? You want to drink some? What would you say? Definitely not. Because you're like, I don't know what's in there. I see some banana peels. It, that does not look appealing at all. Like, no. And this is what happens every single time we want to go preach the gospel and people look at your life and says, whatever you're selling, that is tainted. Whatever you're selling, whatever you're saying is not obviously working for you. Because I look at your life and it's a garbage can. And you're like, but I have living water. And they're like, no, not interested. Now, if you... If you look at that garbage can, is there water in there? Of course there's water. But the water is contaminated by the garbage that's in. If you ever go to the gym and you have one of those plastic bottles that you drink water out of, and then you leave it in the car for some time in the sun, and then you drink that water, what does that feel like? It's tainted with plastic. You, you, can, you can almost taste that plastic if it's, if it's in the sun. So how we... we go ahead and, and, and taint the gospel 
is one through allowing filth. Pornography is filth. Sin in your life, drugs, anger issues, all of that is filth. By allowing that to fester in there, by you not going to the cross every single day or asking forgiveness every single day, you're not cleansing this. Imagine this if you came over to my house and we only have six plates. We do actually, six plates. I counted them. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. But, and imagine if I never washed the plates. After we, 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 we were done with eating, I just put them in the cupboard the way they are. And then you come over to my house. Yuri, we don't do that. Don't, don't nod. <laughs> imagine if you came over to my house and you're like, hey, can I get a plate? I'm like, yeah, just get up and grab them from the cupboard. It's not going to be just old food in there. There's going to be mold. There's things that grew on that plate. Some of you guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look under your bed. If you're one of those people that, uh, people that eat in, in their room and you allow things to grow under your bed because you leave your plates there, you know what I'm talking about. So as a Christian, <laughs> some of you guys are like, I shouldn't... I shouldn't nod right now because I don't want people to know that I did that. <laughs> uh, but as a Christian, if you don't go and get washed daily by the blood of Jesus, even if you left only food in there, guess what? That's going to be bad. A few days is going to get really bad. You need you know, to be washed. My mom, I was talking to her and she's like, Savi, I know that as a Christian, I have to keep my clothes white. And I brought her this example. I'm like, Mom, you remember how you used to work for this cafeteria in Moldova? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, did you go to work with a, a clothing? Uh, it was one of those um, things that kind of goes over. That was all white. She's like, yeah, I would wash it every single night. And I'm like, was it clean in the morning? She's like, yeah, it was clean. I'm like, how about by afternoon? Was it clean? She's like, well, not entirely clean. I mean, there's stuff that spills over. And I'm like, Mom, exactly that. When you walk after the Lord, especially if you do ministry, things will get on, onto your clothing. Things will get into your vessel. This is why you have to go every single night and allow the Lord to cleanse you. You have to go to the cross every single night and cleanse you. And then the second way we taint the gospel is when you're the cup, let's say you're plastic, a plastic cup, and now you're so interested in promoting yourself the people no longer just taste the pure water from the gospel, but they taste you in it. You're the loudmouth that wants to just get in front of people. And your personality is more important than the gospel. I have a problem with that, as you've probably already noticed. Right? Or you're, you, 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 you want to impress people with your intellect so much that you're not, you know, Apostle Paul says, I resolve not to know anything around... Uh, uh, other than, than Christ, Him crucified and resurrected. And we allow our personality, our intellect, we allow us to get in front. We're mixed with the gospel, and then we give that to people, and people are like, yeah, this is great. It seems like hope, but it also tastes a lot like you in it. When you use the gospel to make money, you are tainting the gospel. When you're doing this for financial gain, when you're doing this because you want to get followers, when you're doing this because you want to be influential, you are tainting the gospel. If you want to be used for honorable uses, allow the Lord to cleanse you daily. Do not allow your motives, you know, your intellect, your, all of that stuff, your personality, to taint the gospel that 
the Lord Jesus gave you. So here's what we're told in uh, verse 22. And he kind of goes with this and he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. When we say flee, where the Apostle Paul says flee youthful pa- passions, that doesn't mean that they only happen when you're young, happen when, the, when you're younger. They just start when you're younger. I mean, there's plenty of people who are 60 and 70 and 80 that are still addicted to pornography. And that's crazy to think about it. If you don't know how to fast, how to, to fast from anything that will cause you to sin. I mean, a lot of people like on TikTok like, man, sex is bad. It's like, no, sex in the right context, in context is a beautiful gift. It's when you do not fast from it for the moment while you're single, then becomes deadly, then becomes problematic, then becomes sinful, right? So we're told here, flee youthful passions. You know, trying to be the latest guy with the most money. So you're either tempted by sex, pleasure, um, I don't know, money, power, position, uh, popularity, all of these things is when you're 18 years old, man, I remember when I was 18 years old, like you just kind of give into all of those things because you want to be influential. You want to be, you know, you know, rich, um, popular and all of those things. Right. So flee youthful passions, but pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So in this passage, we're told to run away from the passions of, of youth that follow us into adulthood and into our old age and instead pursue faith, love, and peace with those who call onto the Lord from a pure heart. So if you need justification why you should be here is because this passage tells you to be here or to be at your small group, that you might pursue faith, love, and peace with those who are pursuing the same things. If you are hanging out at the bar, don't, don't wonder why. I'm not talking about the salad bar. I'm talking about the drinking bar. right? Like, Don't wonder why you feel so disheartened. You might not have a, a, a control of what you think or what comes into your mind, but you have control where, where you place yourself physically. Have nothing to do with foolish talk, ignorant controversies, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil. We are told that why we should do all these things? Because we ought to be the example. We got to be the ambassadors for Christ. And when we preach the gospel, we have to, there's going to be times of, of pure evil, of people trying to really destroy you. And we, we are told that we should be patiently enduring evil correcting 
his appoint, uh, opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So we pray, we do these things, because we're called to also minister to the people around us in hopes that God will touch their heart and they will be able to have salvation. They'll be able to know the Lord. They'll be able to walk with the Lord. But that starts with us making sure that we are a vessel of honor. So here's what I'm going to come to a close here in a few minutes. I want to ask you tonight, what kind of vessel are you in the house of God? Has your life been used for dishonor or honorable uses? Are you more of a problem to your family or a blessing to your family? Are you a, a, a person who in church is serving and resolving problems or is a person who causes problems? Of course, if you cause problems, you're welcome here. We're here to minister to you, right? But I think this is, we need to do some self-introspection and say, okay, what kind of vessel is my life? And if I want to change, uh, want to see my life change, I have to look at my cup. I have to look at the vessel that, that, that my life is and say, what's in there that taints the gospel? That, that, you know, poisons the water, the living water of the gospel. You see, Judas, John, and Peter started at the same time, just like some of you guys go to the same ministry, listen to the same preacher, maybe are surrounded by some of the same people. All three of them were listening to Jesus. They saw the same miracles, but they, they especially Judas versus Peter and John, they completely had two different endings. Peter and John wrote a lot of what we call the Bible now, were solid foundations on, on the church, the beginning of the church. We even today talk about their failures, but we talk about their failures in a way that encourages us, that gives us hope. And then look at, look at Judas, and you're like, man, what happened to him? What's the difference? What made Judas end so badly? And Peter and John, Peter was actually crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy enough to die like Jesus. They both sinned. All three of them sinned. But you know what the difference was? When Peter and John sinned, they went back to Jesus. They went back to God to ask for forgiveness. Versus, you know what Judas did when he sinned? He went back to Satan to make another deal with Satan. He went back to the same people that he betrayed Jesus to trying to make another deal. And if you don't get anything out of this message tonight, I hope you get this part. Here's my point. A lot of you, if you're going through a time of addiction, of sin, thinking that you can negotiate with the enemy or with your sin, it'll never get you out of your sin. Only going back to Christ and repenting to Him is what actually sets you free. It's not you reading another self-help book. It's not you negotiating. I'm not going to do this one more time. I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. None of that really will bring the, the, the forgiveness, but also the freedom that you anticipate. Is going to Christ. 
That's what makes all the difference. I don't know if Judas would have had a different ending if he went to Christ. But I know that John and Peter both repented. And they both had a different ending. Now some people are like, well, but see, Judas was, was designed from the beginning to betray Jesus. Okay. You see, to you, you're still writing your book. Tonight, you wrote a chapter, for example, I came, I rewritten, sat down, and then after worship, I listened, right? So you're writing your life as it happens. To God, He doesn't live in time, so He sees all your book. To you, you're somewhat here. To God, He can see everything. Now, I've never read a book that was all gruesome and horrible and the ending is like, and they lived happily ever after. No, there's got to be a chapter that explains that. Somewhere in here, there's got to be a chapter that explains why this book took such, took such a turn. Right? Same time, I didn't see anything just really happy. The whole book is just amazing children's stories. And at the beginning, there's a gruesome, I mean, at the end, there's a gruesome murder. And you're like, wait a second, what happened? Like, wait, what, what happened? There's got to be a chapter that explains that. So tonight, you are still writing your chapters, but God can see everything. In a sense, to God, He can see your beginning. He can see your, your ending. He can see every single choice that you make. And if you don't want to end up like Judas, somewhere along the line, you know, after you've been a sinner and a broken person, there's got to be a chapter that explains your transition. There's got to be a chapter in your book that says, I gave my life to the Lord. I stopped living for my dreams. And I embraced His mission, His call for my life. And that's my call to you. Have you done that? And when you make the decision to follow after the Lord, have the chapters after that followed the same progression of change, of results, of you still pursuing the Lord? It's not just coming to the altar one night and giving your whole life and everything changes. I mean, we are the generation of that where we think that, you know, you can lose weight by taking a pill, not ever going to the gym or eating right. We are the generation of microwaves and so on, right? But when it comes to God, it takes time. It takes you to not just come to the altar once, but for you to actually follow through in following Him daily with every single decision. He doesn't just care about your, your, your result as a, as a fruit of your life. He cares about every single person and the way how you treated them. He cares about every single thing that you said, every single choice that you made, every single action that you, you, you took. So where are you tonight? What kind of, what kind of vessel are you? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up, but I want to just spend some time you guys can keep sitting on, uh, on your, in your chairs, but I'm going to ask you this. Spend a few minutes and say, Lord, would you have the Holy Spirit reveal the, the contents of my vessel? Lord, I think this is a time of me coming and pouring before you my sins. And say, Lord, would you wash me? If you ever wash dishes, which I'm sure all of you have, you first have to dump the stuff out, then you have to clean it, and then you have to go to the fridge and get clean water, right? It's, it's simple. 
when you come to Jesus, you have to come and dump the sin, everything that, 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 that taints the water in there. You have to come to Jesus for Jesus to wash the cup completely. And then come to Him that He would fill you with the gospel, with His word. So now you can go and start giving other people, preaching the gospel, loving on people. But if I approach Paul with a garbage can full of garbage, and maybe the reason the world is not so much interested in following Jesus is because we have a whole bunch of Christians that are offering them to drink out of vessels that are filled with garbage. And they're like, man, I don't know you're talking about the gospel. It obviously hasn't changed your life. And that's my hope tonight is as, as a youth ministry, as a church, that we would follow this. And I'll just remind you that in this life you will have massive problems. But you're not called to be comfortable. You're called to be a soldier. You're called to be like an athlete who disciplines his body. You're called to work hard. Yes, there's going to be moments of, of people honoring you, but it's going to be moments of people leaving you and feeling lonely. But God knows those who are His. And for those who decide that they do, are not okay with the state of their vessel, they don't want to be a Judas, but they want to be a Peter or John. Now, of course, we understand that salvation and cleaning comes by God, but we have to take that step. We know that it's God who works in us in repentance. It's God who calls us. He's the one who draws us near. But this verse right here clearly tells us that therefore if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the masters of the house, ready for every good work. Then you wonder, God, why didn't you use me for a revival? Because your cup is not ready. God, why don't you use me to change the world? Because you, you're not ready. No offense, but you're not even showing up to church on time. Because you don't think it's that, that important. No offense, but you haven't dealt with certain character problems in your life. Do you just push aside? You haven't dealt with, with the stuff that you watch, the filth that you watch, or the filth that you hear. You haven't dealt with, with your constant, you know, I think one of the biggest problems that we have right now is you hardly can ever find a person that's committed to anything. You're like, hey, you're going to come to church? I don't know yet. It's like church is in six hours. How do, you, how do you not know that? What you're saying is it's not that important for me. I just want to make sure that nothing more important comes along. Guys, I think the Lord Jesus gave everything for us and He is here tonight. He is able to cleanse you. He's able to change you. He's able to give you a new future. And right now, when you are writing one of your chapters, you're like, oh, I still have half a book. But the truth of the matter is you don't know that. You don't know if our ending is tonight 
or 20 or 100 years from now, I hope it's 100 years from now, we can do more good for the Lord. Amen? But we don't know if we're writing our last chapter. We don't have the benefit of knowing when our expiration date is for us. So pushing it off, you don't know if you're, la- you don't know if you're writing your last sentence. I love the story of a guy who was preaching. He says, you know what? God could take me home right now. And he died right then. Literally. <laughs> At least he died when doing something that God called him to do. You don't, you don't know that if you're writing, if you're somewhere in the middle or at the beginning. And if you're young, obviously, you know you're at the beginning, but you don't know when the end happens. And this is where Apostle Paul, at the end of his book, encourages Timothy and says, look, be encouraged. You're going to go through all this. But Christ is our strength. He can wash us. He can cleanse us. And he, he, you can be used as a vessel for honor. So would you bow your heads right now? I'm going to lead you in the prayer. And then we're going to stand and uh, we're just going to finish. But I'm going to ask right now to just spend a couple minutes. Just really, we're going to be quiet and just play soft music. But ask the Holy Spirit to show your vessel. Maybe you're not going to see a, a picture in your eyes or anything like that. But ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind the sins in your life that's tainting the the, the, the water of the gospel, the, the, the water of, of life. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to let you know what you need to dump out, what you need to be cleansed of. And then ask the Holy Spirit to, to cleanse you. Go to the cross and allow the Holy Spirit to use the blood of Jesus to wash you and that you might be ready for every good work. Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless.